Good evening. Tonight the scripture passage is, As ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And remember in all things the poor and the needy take on special meaning as we review highlights of humanitarian endeavors during the past year. A briefing on humanitarian assistance was recently given the General Welfare Committee of the Church. The committee chair, then President Gordon B. Hinckley, expressed profound gratitude for the generosity of members and those not of our faith who have made this outreach possible. In behalf of the General Welfare Committee, we express our deep appreciation to the many individuals, families, quorums, relief societies, and young women groups who are the Good Samaritans of today. In 2007, the Church responded to major earthquakes in five countries, massive fires in six countries, hungry and famine in 18 countries, and flooding and severe storms in 34 countries. In total, the Church and its members responded to 170 major events nearly one every two days for the entire year. It was a busy year with many opportunities to serve. In addition to responding to natural disasters, thousands of public health initiatives were undertaken during the year. Over one million people benefited from Church-sponsored clean water projects in 25 countries. More than 60,500 people received wheelchairs in 60 nations. Early this year, Sister Burton and I, with the South America North Area Presidency, participated with the First Lady of Colombia in a wheelchair presentation. Tears came easily as receivers and their caregivers expressed their appreciation. In 11 countries, over 54,000 individuals now enjoy improved vision. Over 16,500 health care professionals in 23 countries were trained in infant neonatal resuscitation. They, in turn, will train many others. In a quest to eliminate measles, 2.8 million children and youth in 10 countries received immunizations. The combined effects of these outreach endeavors directly touched nearly 4 million people in 85 countries. In August, a major 8.0 earthquake killed 520 people and destroyed more than 58,000 homes in southern Peru. In a marvelous display of love and concern, each of the 29 stakes in Lima, Peru, provided basic assistance to ward areas in the devastated region. With the wonderful assistance of missionaries, a plan is underway to help individuals rebuild their homes and live and lives and replace several schools. As many as 400 homes may ultimately be built with individuals, friends, and family doing much of the work. Supervision and coordination and training are under the direction of Elder and Sister Alan Layton. 
Late in the year, a combination of dry weather and high winds fueled the wildfires in Southern California. These wildfires forced over one million people from their homes. At least 1,500 homes were destroyed. In response, the Church provided cleaning kits, blankets, hygiene kits, and food. Over 5,000 Mormon helping hands, along with missionaries, cleaned, cooked, comforted, and cared for those affected. One note of appreciation said, quote, Please forward a great big thank you to all the Latter-day Saints who have been working so hard in my neighborhood. The Mormons have been here constantly with meals, hugs, prayers, and helping to repair and clear property. They uplift my community, heal hearts, and repair homes in the San Diego Hills. Reflecting on the experience of one stake president, he said one of our projects was to assist cleaning up around the local Baptist church. We assigned 25 youth. The Baptist said they would have lots of donuts and coffee for us. We told them that the coffee would go stale, but our youth could handle as many donuts as they could provide. Heavy rains triggered flooding across the Midwestern United States and Oregon and Washington. Volunteer came with supplies from the bishop's storehouse to provide help to those in need. When church representatives in Findlay, Ohio, presented a donation to the local Red Cross chapter, a passerby spotted them in their yellow Mormon Helping Hands t-shirts. She walked in and held up her camera phone with a picture of four helping hands and exclaimed, They just saved my home. Then she hugged everyone in sight. A shipment of food was delivered to a local food bank. When it arrived, the manager had a startled look on his face and said, How did you know? I just gave out my last loaf of bread and planned to lock the doors. How did you know? Working with the World Health Organization to eliminate measles as a killer of almost a million children each year, over 54,000 church member members volunteered to help organize the effort. A church member in Nigeria wrote, I called our labor the rescue of the innocent. We went house to house and village hall to village hall. A woman told us she had lost three children to measles. She told her story with such grace and passion that there was not a dry eye in the house, mine included. Our volunteer observed, The things you do for yourself are gone when you are gone. But the things that you do for others remain as your legacy. Our four-year effort to help those devastated by the tsunami in Indonesia and Southern Asia also continued. Funding was provided to help build 902 homes and three community centers, 24 village water systems, 15 schools, and three medical centers. A community leader said, Community members feel happy and blessed to have the community center. It is a place where we can pray and teach the children. Thank you to the Church for building this center for our people. We will pray to God to give the Church blessings and success in the future. Thank you. 
In Ethiopia, communities helped to access clean drinking water. The Church drilled wells and constructed storage tanks. Communities organized a water committee and dug the trenches needed to pipe the water from the storage tanks to each village. In some cases, this was a distance of over five kilometers. Some communities struggled to meet their commitment for trenching. The soil was hard, dry, and full of clay, making digging very difficult. In one community, a school of 1,500 students suspended normal school activities for a period of time, and everyone participated in digging the remaining sections of the trench. As they worked, their members of other members of the community joined in. At one point, there was over a mile-long line of people digging. Thank you for your compassion, your goodness, and your generosity. May we press forward to lighten the load of neighbors, encourage and assist the downtrodden, open our purses to assist the poor, and extend our helping hands. I bear witness of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel, and pray that we may continue to enjoy the blessings of true discipleship as we quietly reach out to others. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My purpose tonight is to help you grow in your confidence that you can and will rise to the blessings of the oath and covenant of the priesthood. It is the magnitude of the possible consequences of that oath and covenant which may require a regular boost in your confidence. The Lord has made those consequences clear. Rising to the possibilities of the oath and covenant brings the greatest of all the gifts of God eternal life. That is the purpose, that is a a purpose of the Melchizedek Priesthood. Through keeping the covenants as we receive the priesthood and renewing them in the temple ceremonies, we are promised by an oath made by our Heavenly Father Elohim that we will gain the fullness of His glory and live as He lives. We will have the blessing of being sealed in a family forever with the promise of eternal increase. As you would expect, Failing to claim such a blessing would bring tragic consequences. The Lord was clear about that as well. These are the words often read to young men by their leaders when they are approaching the time when they may receive the Melchizedek priesthood. You likely will remember your feelings when you first heard them. They are the words of the Savior, Jesus Christ, given to us through the prophet Joseph Smith. And also all they who receive this priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. For he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my Father. And he that receiveth my Father receiveth my Father's kingdom. Therefore all that my Father hath shall be given unto him. And this is according to the oath and covenant which belongeth to the priesthood. Therefore, all those who receive the priesthood receive this oath and covenant of my Father, which he cannot break, neither can it be moved. But whoso breaketh this covenant after he hath received it, and altogether turneth therefrom, shall not have forgiveness of sins in this world nor in the world to come. 
And woe unto all those who come not unto this priesthood which ye have received, which I now confirm upon you who are present this day, but by mine own voice out of the heavens. And even I have given the heavenly hosts and mine angels charge concerning you. And now I give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life. Now, if you were like I was when I first heard those words as a young man, the challenge of accepting the Melchizedek priesthood could seem daunting. There are at least two reasons why you should be confident rather than discouraged with the penalties that would follow either failing to keep the oath and covenant or deciding not to accept it. Whether you accept the oath and covenant and find it too difficult or if you fail to try, the penalty is the same. There is no question, therefore, that your best course and mine is to receive the holy priesthood and try with all of our hearts to keep its covenants. If we choose not to try, we would certainly lose the opportunity for eternal life. If we try and with God's help succeed, we will gain eternal life. There is yet another reason to decide now that you will try with all your heart to qualify for that oath and covenant and have confidence that you will succeed. God promises you the help and power which, if you exercise faith, will give you success. Let me describe some of the blessings you will receive as you go forward in faith. First, the very fact that you have been offered the oath and covenant is evidence that God has chosen you knowing your power and capacity. He has known you since you were with him in the spirit world. With his foreknowledge of your strength, he has allowed you to find the true church of Jesus Christ and to be offered the priesthood. You can feel confidence because you have evidence of his confidence in you. Second, as you will try to keep your covenants, the Savior has promised his personal help. He has said that as you go forward in honoring the priesthood, there I will be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. You may at times need reassurance, as I do, that you will have the strength to meet your obligations in this sacred priesthood. The Lord foresaw your need for reassurance. He said, For whoso is faithful unto obtaining these two priesthoods, of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit under the renewing of their bodies. I have seen that promise fulfilled in my own life and in the lives of others. A friend of mine served as a mission president. He told me that at the end of every day while he was serving, he could barely make it upstairs to bed at night, wondering if he would have the strength to face another day. Then in the morning, he would find his strength and his courage restored. You have seen it in the lives of aged prophets who seemed to be renewed each time they stood to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ and the restored gospel. That is a promise for those who go forward in faith in their priesthood service. You are also promised that you will be given the power to bear testimony and that in the process you will be cleansed and made fit for the eternal life which you have been promised. 
for I will forgive you of your sins with this commandment, that you remain steadfast in your minds in solemnity and the spirit of prayer in bearing testimony to all the world of those things which are communicated unto you. Therefore, go ye into all the world, and into whatsoever place ye cannot go, ye shall send, that the testimony may go forth from you into all the world unto every creature. And with that promise, the Lord has honored you by saying of you, Ye are they whom my Father hath given me. Ye are my friends. There is another wonderful blessing that will encourage you as you keep your priesthood covenants. Priesthood service will prepare you for living in eternal families. It will change your feelings about what it means to be a husband or a father or a son or a brother. That change in your heart will come as you feel your faith grow and the promise of eternal life through the Melchizedek Priesthood becomes real to you. That happened to Party P. Pratt when the Prophet Joseph Smith first taught him the doctrine of eternal families. Party P. Pratt wrote, It was at this time that I received from him the first idea of eternal family organizations and the eternal union of the sexes in those inexpressibly enduring relationships which none but the highly intellectual, the refined, the pure in heart know how to prize, and which are at the very foundation of everything worthy to be called happiness. It was from him that I learned that the wife of my bosom might be secured to me for time and all eternity, and that the refined sympathies and affections which endeared us to each other emanated from the fountain of divine eternal love. It was from him that I learned that we might cultivate these affections and grow and increase in the same to all eternity, while the result of our endless union would be an offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven or the sands of the seashore. I had loved before, but I knew not why. But now I loved with a pureness, an intensity of exalted feeling. I felt that God was my heavenly Father, indeed that Jesus was my brother, and that the wife of my bosom was an immortal, eternal companion, a kind, ministering angel given to me as a comfort and a crown of glory given to me forever and ever. I am a personal witness that priesthood service pursued in faith has such an effect in changing our hearts and our feelings. A young man hearing my words today can have confidence that by honoring his priesthood, he will be protected against the temptation to sexual sin so prevalent in the world in which we live. It will be, it will be possible for the ironic priesthood holder hearing me tonight as his faith increases in the sure reward of eternal life through the eternal priesthood that he will have the power to see in the daughters of God their true worth and in the promise of a posterity a reason to be pure and to stay clean. In the same way, Faith in the oath and covenant will lead us to develop the feelings of charity essential to an eternal family. One of the promises we make as we accept the priesthood is to care for others. I have seen the miracle of that growth in charity in the hearts of priesthood holders. So have many of you, and so have many outside the Church. I was in the office of President Gordon B. Hinckley when he was asked to take a phone call. He spoke briefly on the phone and then returned to our conversation, but he took a moment to explain. He said that the call was from the President of the United States, 
who was flying over Utah in Air Force One on his way to Washington. The President of the United States had called to thank President Hinckley for what priesthood holders had done in the aftermath of a hurricane. The President of the United States had said that it was a miracle that we were able to get so many people so quickly working together so well. He praised our people by saying that we knew how to do things. Perhaps the President of the United States was impressed with what he thought were our great organizational skills. That was part of the miracle. But the greater reason for the miracle was that hundreds and perhaps thousands of priesthood holders had such faith in the oath and covenant of the priesthood. It was not how they were organized that made the, the difference. Faith in the oath and covenant of the priesthood impelled them to go long distances, stay long hours, and endure hardships as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ in caring for those in great need. They were in that process of giving priesthood service developing the power and the spirit of charity necessary to become great husbands, fathers, sons, and brothers in families here and in families forever. Those instances of priesthood service have occurred in our outreach to people as brothers and sisters in God's family across the earth time and time again. My prayer is that you will decide tonight and then every day to go forward in faith in keeping your covenants with God and so claim the promise He has made to you with an oath. You can do it in simple things. When you meet with your quorum, you can decide to see them as brothers in the family of God. There will be someone in your quorum or priesthood group who is in need. They may not show it. You may not be able to see it with your eyes, but God knows and invites you to be His servant in helping them. You can be like the priesthood holder who, every time I saw him in our priesthood service together, would ask, How's Grandma? He had never met my mother-in-law, as far as I know, but he somehow found out about her illness and her great age. I cannot tell you how much it meant to me to see the hand of God reaching out to me and my wife in consolation and comfort through a priesthood holder. You can have that same effect every time you gather with priesthood holders. If you always think of your covenant to succor and help those whose hands hang down and who carry heavy burdens, as you do, you will be developing the very qualities which will qualify you to be a member in a family forever. There is another thing you can do. You can study the Word of God, not for yourself alone, but to be an emissary of the Lord Jesus Christ to all the world. When you increase your power to teach the gospel, you are qualifying to help Heavenly Father in gathering His children. As you do that, another blessing will come. Should the need ever come in family life in this world or in the world to come to draw back lost sheep, you will have received more power than you may now recognize. The Lord describes that wonderful blessing in Alma 13.6. And thus, being called by this holy calling and ordained unto the high priesthood of the holy order of God, to teach His commandments unto the children of men, that they also might enter into His rest. You may have confidence in your service with this promise of success. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, exceedingly great many, 
who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God. Now, my brethren, I would that you should humble yourselves before God and bring forth fruit meet for repentance, that you may also enter into that rest. I testify that God the Father lives. You have made covenants with Him. He offers you an oath, a promise of eternal life, which He cannot break. I testify to you that the priesthood is the power by which God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, created the worlds. I testify that God wants you to succeed and to come home again to live with Him in families forever. I testify to you that this is the true Church of Jesus Christ. In it are the keys of the priesthood. It is that priesthood with which God has honored you. I promise you that He knows your capacities and that they are sufficient that you may with faith have the hope of eternal life for you and for your families forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My dear brethren, I feel your strength and goodness as we assemble as the priesthood of God. I love you. I admire you. Thank you for your faith, your prayers, and the willingness to serve the Lord. It is now two months since President Thomas S. Monson called me to serve as his second counselor in the First Presidency of the Church. I'm sure this came as a surprise to many, as it caught me off guard as well. In fact, I would say I may have been the second most surprised person on earth, the first being my wife. (laughs) On the day the Quorum of the Twelve met in the temple to sustain President Monson and ordain and set him apart as prophet, seer, and revelator, and President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I felt overjoyed to have the opportunity to raise my hand in support of my beloved friend and leader. After President Monson was sustained, he announced his counselors. President Eyring was no surprise. He's a man of stature and character, a wonderful choice as first counselor. How I love and admire him. Then President Monson announced his second counselor. It was a name that sounded strangely familiar. (laughs) It was my name. I looked around the room, not sure I had heard correctly, but the smiles from my brethren and the look of compassion from President Monson assured me that once again my life was about to change. We all miss President Hinckley. He continues to bless our lives. President Monson is the prophet of God for our days. I honor him and pledge my heart, might, mind, and strength to this great work. In 1979, a large passenger jet with 257 people on board left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica and back. Unknown to the pilots, however, someone had modified the flight coordinates by a mere two degrees. 
This error placed the aircraft 28 miles to the east of where the pilots assumed they were. As they approached Antarctica, the pilots descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. Although both were experienced pilots, neither had made this particular flight before, and they had no way of knowing that the incorrect coordinates had placed them directly in the path of Mount Erebus, an active volcano that rises from the frozen landscape to a height of more than 12,000 feet. As the pilots flew onward, the white of the snow and ice covering the volcano blended with the white of the clouds above, making it appear as though they were flying over flat ground. By the time the instruments sounded the warning that the ground was rising fast towards them, it was too late. The airplane crashed into the side of the volcano, killing everyone on board. It was a terrible tragedy brought on by a minor error, a matter of only a few degrees. Through years of serving the Lord in countless interviews, I have learned that the difference between happiness and misery in individuals, in marriages, and families often comes down to an error of only a few degrees. The story of Saul, the king of Israel, illustrates this point. Saul's life began with great promise, but it had an unfortunate and tragic end. In the beginning, Saul was a choice young man, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Saul was personally chosen by God to be king. He had every advantage. He was physically imposing, and he came from an influential family. Of course, Saul had weaknesses, but the Lord promised to bless uphold and prosper him. The scriptures tell us that God promised to always be with him, give him another heart, and turn him into another man. When he had the Lord's help, Saul was a magnificent king. He united Israel and defeated the Ammonites who had invaded their land. Soon as a much greater problem faced him. The Philistines, who had a terrible army with chariots and horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. The Israelites were so terrified of the Philistines that they hid themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks. The young king needed help. The prophet Samuel sent word for him to wait and that he, the prophet, would come and offer sacrifice and seek counsel from the Lord. Saul waited seven days, and still Samuel, the prophet, had not arrived. Finally, Saul felt he could wait no longer. He gathered the people together and did something he had no authority, no priesthood authority to do. He offered the sacrifice himself. When Samuel arrived, he was brokenhearted. Thou hast done foolishly, he said. 
if only the new king had endured a little longer and not deviated from the course of the Lord, if only he had followed the revealed order of the priesthood, the Lord would have established his kingdom forever. But now, Samuel said, thy kingdom shall not continue. On that day, the prophet Samuel recognized a critical weakness in Saul's character. When pressured by outside influences, Saul did not have the self-discipline to stay on course. Trust the Lord and his prophet and follow the pattern God had established. Small errors can have a large impact on our lives. The difference of a few degrees, as with the Antarctica flight or Saul's failure to hold fast to the counsel of the prophet just a little longer may seem minor, but even small errors over time can make a dramatic difference in our lives. Let me share with you how I taught the same principle to young pilots. Suppose you were to take off from an airport at the equator, intending to circumnavigate the globe, but that your course was off by just one degree. By the time you return to the same longitude, how far off course would you be? A few miles? A hundred miles? The answer might surprise you. An error of only one degree would put you almost 500 miles off course, or one hour of flight for a jet. No one wants his life to end in tragedy. But all too often, like the pilots and passengers of the sightseeing flight, we set out on what we hope will be an exciting journey, only to realize, too late, that an error of a few degrees has set us on a course for a spiritual disaster. Is there a lesson for our lives in these examples? Small errors and minor drifts away from the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring sorrowful consequences into our lives. It is therefore of critical importance that we become self-disciplined enough to make early and decisive corrections to get back on the right track and not wait or hope that errors will somehow correct themselves. The longer we delay corrective action, the larger the needed changes become and the longer it takes to get back on the correct course, even to the point where a disaster might be looming. You men of the priesthood have been entrusted with a great responsibility. Just think of it. Our Heavenly Father, trust you young deacons, teachers, and priests with the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. You men of the Melchizedek priesthood have received an oath and a covenant which you have been promised all the Father has if you magnify your priesthood. The Lord reminds us that unto whom much is given, much is required. Those who bear the priesthood of God have great responsibility to be examples of goodness to the world. 
we live up to these expectations when we quickly recognize the dangers and influences that tempt us to drift from the Lord's way and when we courageously follow the promptings of this Holy Ghost to make decisive corrections that will bring us back on course. This conference is being translated into 92 languages and broadcast to 96 countries by the miracle of modern technology. Many of you, brethren, attend General Conference by means of the Internet. New technologies such as this make it possible for the gospel message to be spread throughout the world. The church websites are good examples of how you can use this technology as a wonderful source of inspiration, help, and learning. They can be a blessing for you priesthood holders, your families, and the church. But be cautious. These same technologies can allow evil influences to cross the threshold of your homes. These dangerous traps are only a mouse click away. Pornography, violence, intolerance, and ungodliness destroy families, marriages, and individual lives. These dangers are distributed through many media, including magazines, books, television, movies, and music, as well as the Internet. The Lord will help you to recognize and avoid those evils. It is the early recognition of danger and a clear course correction that will keep you in the light of the gospel. Minor decisions can lead to major consequences. Entering a strange and risky chat room on the Internet could lead you into the center of a raging storm. Putting a computer in a private room that the rest of the family cannot access could be the starting point for a deceitful and dangerous journey. But the Lord requires not only outward acts, but also your inner thoughts and feelings to be close to the spirit of the law. God requires the heart and a willing mind. We the priesthood of God have the responsibility and the power of self-direction. It is not me that I should command in all things, says the Lord. Man should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness, for the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves." Our Heavenly Father knew before we came to this mortal existence that negative forces would tempt us to drift from our course. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is why he prepared a way for us to make corrections. Through the merciful process of true repentance, and the atonement of Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven, and we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our willingness to repent shows our 
gratitude for God's gift and for the Savior's love and sacrifice on our behalf. Commandments and priesthood covenants provide a test of faith, obedience, and love for God and Jesus Christ. But even more importantly, they offer an opportunity to experience love from God and to receive a full measure of joy, both in this life and in the life to come. These commandments and covenants of God are like navigational instructions from celestial heights and will lead us safely to our eternal destination. It is one of beauty and glory beyond understanding. It is worth the effort. It is worth making decisive corrections now and then staying on course. Remember, the heavens will not be filled with those who never made mistakes, but with those who recognized that they were off course and who corrected their ways to get back in the light of the gospel truth. The more we treasure the words of the prophets and, ap and apply them, the better we will recognize when we are drifting off course, even if only by a matter of a few degrees. Now, brethren, there are those who have neglected to make appropriate course corrections and now believe that they are too far from the Lord's way to ever make it back. To them we proclaim the good news. That is the gospel of redemption and salvation. No matter how terribly of course you are, no matter how far you have strayed, the way back is certain and clear. Come, learn of the Father. Offer up a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Have faith and believe in the cleansing power of the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. If we confess and repent of our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. It may not be an easy path, and it requires self-discipline and determination but its end is glorious beyond description. You are not doomed to a tragic end. Many are eager to assist you. Your family, bishops, stake presidents, your quorum leaders and home teachers. Of course, your greatest friend is the all-powerful creator of the universe. It is his priesthood you bear. He understands your sorrow. He knows your grief. He and our Father in heaven will bless, comfort, and strengthen you. They will walk beside you and carry you as you strive to right your course. My dear brethren, you are truly choice and precious sons of Heavenly Father. He has entrusted you with the sacred power of the priesthood. Please do not drift off course, not even a few degrees. Hearken unto the Lord your God and he will do for you what he promised to do for Saul. He will give you a new heart, make, you, make of you a new man, and always be with you. I testify 
of our Heavenly Father, who knows and loves you. I bear witness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is the head of this church. President Thomas S. Monson is the prophet of God today. I express my love and gratitude for you, my dear friends and brethren of the priesthood. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brethren of the priesthood, as I begin, I would like to direct my remarks to each 12-year-old deacon attending this general priesthood session. Wherever you are, I want to acknowledge your presence and to tell or remind you of the experience that President Gordon B. Hinckley had when he was, like you are, a 12-year-old deacon. From his biography, we read, not long after he was ordained a deacon, he attended his first stake priesthood meeting with his father. He felt a little out of place as he found a seat on the back row of the Tenth Ward Chapel, while his father, who was serving in the stake presidency, took his place on the stand. To open the meeting, the three or four hundred men present stood and sang William W. Phelps's triumphant anthem, Praise to the Man Who Communed with Jehovah. Jesus anointed that prophet and seer, blessed to open the last dispensation. Kings shall extol him and nations revere. Reflecting back on that experience, President Hinckley said, Something happened within me as I heard those men of faith sing. It touched my heart. It gave me a feeling that was difficult to describe. I felt a great moving power, both emotional and spiritual. I had never had it previously in terms of any Church experience. There came into my heart a conviction that the man of whom they sang was really a prophet of God. I knew then, by the power of the Holy Ghost, that Joseph Smith was indeed a prophet of God. Even as that experience had by President Hinckley as a twelve-year-old deacon was one he would remember for the rest of his life, I pray that the experience you are having will be one you will remember for the rest of your lives. Now, I invite us all to look at this remarkable cast bronze sculpture entitled Deacon's Bench. For those of you who cannot see it, Deacon's Bench is the likeness of five deacons caught in a candid moment while seated on a bench in church. As you look at these five deacons, what do you see? Now, as I read statements by two former presidents of the Church, I will ask the question a little differently. What can you see? President Joseph Fielding Smith declared, Our young people are the nobility of heaven. 
a choice and chosen generation who have a divine destiny. Their spirits have been reserved to come forth in this day when the gospel is on the earth and when the Lord needs valiant servants to carry on His great Latter-day work. President Spencer W. Kimball declared, We are rearing a royal generation who have special things to do. In light of these prophetic declarations, if we expand our vision beyond five deacons on a bench to include all of the young men of the Aaronic priesthood, then what can you see? I trust and pray that we can all see their divine potential, that we can see them going forth as bearers of the holy priesthood and as missionaries preaching the everlasting gospel by the Spirit to the nations of the earth, that we can see them as faithful husbands and fathers and as valiant servants in and leaders of the Church and Kingdom of God in these latter days. In order for us to more clearly envision the divine destiny of this chosen and royal generation, we need only to reflect upon the twelve-year-old Jesus who went up to Jerusalem with His parents to celebrate the feast of the Passover. Who was this twelve-year-old boy? What was his mission and destiny, and how was he able to fulfill it? We proclaim and the scriptures confirm that he was and is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that he came into the world to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on His name, that as a youth He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, that He grew up with His brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord for the time of His ministry to come, that He was in all points tempted like as we are. Indeed, He faced temptations of every kind, but gave no heed to them. And when confronted by Lucifer, the father of all lies, the author of all sin, Jesus was not only protected by His knowledge of the Scriptures, but by His absolute obedience to the word and will of His Father. And He commanded, saying, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Now, as to how He was able to fulfill His mission and destiny, Consider these words of Jesus who said, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. 
and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That each one of us, as sons of God, can fulfill his mission and destiny is made plain by these words of the Lord to the prophet Joseph Smith. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. I so testify, as I also bear my witness, that President Thomas S. Monson is indeed a prophet of God, and that he and his counselors in the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve, the quorum of the twelve Apostles are prophets, seers, and revelators. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. As an ironic priesthood young man, I can remember the excitement I felt as a newly ordained deacon. I look forward to being able to fulfill my priesthood assignments. As a young primary boy, I watched the deacons in my ward very closely anticipation, in the anticipation of the day I would be 12 years old, receive the priesthood, and be able to pass the sacrament. That day finally arrived, and soon after being ordained by my father, who was the bishop of the ward, I felt ready but nervous to begin my duties as a new deacon. I now belong to a quorum of the Aaronic Priesthood. The members of my quorum became very best friends. That friendship and quorum brotherhood continued to grow through my youth as we learned and served together in our priesthood duties. We were all good friends and experienced a fun and enjoyable time being together in our quorum activities. One Sunday, following one of those warm and long sacrament meetings, the first counselor in our bishopric called me aside to talk to me. This unscheduled priesthood interview became a blessing in my life as I have pondered the question he asked during our brief but significant visit. Brother Bateman looked me in the eye and asked, Dean, do you know who you are? There was complete silence, and then he gave me a quick and powerful reminder. You are the son of Reed Burgess. The meaning and significance of that question has burned in my heart for a long time. And I often reflected on it, in, on it throughout my teenage years. This good brother's question, do you know who you are, has given me inspired direction throughout my life and a commitment to being respectful and honor my family and the priesthood. Tonight I would ask each one of you young men of the Aaronic Priesthood that very same question that I was asked as a young man. Young man, do you know who you are? 
Knowing who you are makes you spiritually strong, sound, and steadfast in your priesthood duties. You become confident with faith and determination to make right decisions. You have courage to stand up for what you know is right. You realize that it is a privilege to hold the priesthood of God and have the authority to act in His name. Ammon, a great missionary of the Book of Mormon, was a faithful and valiant servant of King Lamoni. He miraculously preserved King Lamoni's flocks and did all he could to serve the king. When hearing of Ammon's powerful acts, Lamoni questioned who Ammon really was. Ammon declared, Behold, I am a man and am thy servant. Therefore, whatsoever thou desireth which is right, that will I do. Now when the king had heard these words, he marveled again, for he beheld that Ammon could discern his thoughts. But notwithstanding this, King Lamoni did open his mouth and said unto him, Who art thou? Art thou that great spirit who knows all things? And Ammon answered and said unto him, I am not. Ammon then explained who he was when he said, I am a man created after the image of God, and I am called by His Holy Spirit to teach this people. Ammon knew who he was and what his mission was. Finding out who we are is one of life's greatest quests. As parents and leaders, we make a sincere and honest effort to help those we love understand and know the answer to this simple but profound question, Who am I? I ask you, young men of the Aaronic Priesthood, how do you come to receive a knowledge and a witness of who you are? Please consider the following three questions and related principles that are essential in your understanding your true identity. First, do you know that you are a son of God? You are literally a son of God, spiritually begotten in the premortal life. As His child, you can be assured that you have a divine, eternal potential and that your Heavenly Father will help you in your sincere efforts to reach that potential. The knowledge that Heavenly Father loves us and that we, we are His children gives us strength, comfort, and hope to live this mortal life. In the epistle of John, 1 John, we read, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, now are we the sons of God. You are important to a loving Father in heaven. Young men, pray always. Your prayers both morning and night will help you come to know that you are a son of God. Second, do you know who you are in God's plan? Alma called it the the great plan of happiness, a plan that God prepared for you and for each of us. Following this plan makes it possible for each of us to enjoy happiness now and to return to His presence after we die. Heavenly Father sent His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to loose the bands of death and atone for our sins and the sins of the world, allowing the Savior to atone for our sins is the greatest expression of love heavenly fathers expression of heavenly father's love for each of us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Knowing, believing, and understanding the mission of the Savior helps us to know who we are. As part of Heavenly Father's plan, you are sent to an earthly home and to a family. The covenant you make in God's plan as an individual and part of a family will bind you forever in your family and in the family of God for all eternity. Honor and respect those names you bear. Live the standards and the commandments of God. Allow others to know who you are by the way you live the standards, as found in for the Strength of Youth booklet. Study, ponder, and live these divine standards. They are for you. Third, do you know who you are as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? You have been baptized and have received the Holy Ghost. You are a member of the restored Church of Jesus Christ. It is His Church, and He has given us a prophet of God to teach, lead, and guide us, and to direct His work here on earth. I testify that President Thomas S. Monson is our prophet in these perilous times. Listen to him. He and other modern-day prophets will teach you who you are and how to become like the Savior. You are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and have been ordained to hold the priesthood of God. President Monson has said, We have been entrusted to bear the priesthood and to act in the name of God. We are recipients of a sacred trust. Much is expected of us. You belong to a a priesthood quorum of young men where you can feel the brotherhood and the friendship of other priesthood holders. The quorum is a protection for you against worldly influences. You are able to serve one another and participate in the ordinances of the priesthood. In your quorums, you are also taught the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which helps you to understand who you are. Young men, honor the priesthood of God. I testify that knowing who you are and keeping your promises and covenants with the Lord will bring you happiness in your life. May we all be able to know and understand who we really are. May the spirit we feel here tonight bear witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.